That's actually a good example, you know, of uh, when I just say turn my mic on. I, I really am convicted as a church. We've got to be, like, loose, you know? Like, loose. You know, it's like, anybody want to stretch? Maybe stand up and stretch? Amen, brother. I mean, like, I, um, one big turnoff for me growing up as a church is, like, so, like, you know, kind of, like, I don't know, staid and just formal. And uh, that was one of my big fears, frankly, moving into this building, is we would just become kind of churchy. You know, and I'm not saying we are. I'm saying that is a risk because of like our mindset of what's well, the church? And oh yeah, this is how you act in church. And uh, I got to look good, you know. I mean, you got to look proper. Um, and sometimes that even ties into trying to look uh, holy. And uh, you know, I've always desired and, and prayed for a community that uh, man just one is open and because man, people got people got baggage. Uh, we're all broken. You know, I was at in the Grove yesterday, um, and no, no offense to any other fans, but, you know, I was in there and bumped into a lot of church folks on my, on my way going through with Jack, and, you know, I won't tell you the conversation, but, you know, saw a family, actually saw two families together, and, you know, we were visiting everything, and, I mean, they're, they're like, I mean, they're, they're good with the church, they love the church, obviously they're not here today, okay, and I'm not talking about them, but, uh, you know, we were sharing uh, food and drink and visiting, and, uh, and the girl, the wife, said, you know what? And, and I had forgotten about this phrase. We've had a lot of phrases in Bellwether's life. But this girl said, you know the reason we came to Bellwether and, and you know, or Bellwether's a home. And I was like, well, what? It's like, you used to always say, you know, where real people can meet the real Jesus. I was like, man, I hadn't heard that in a while. Uh, who, who, anybody else remember that? I know Heidi does. That's probably why you came too, right, Heidi? <laughs> yeah. But what I mean is that, you know, you can be real and... You know, for me, and, and I hope for other people who are, are Christians, that you, and this is where it's tied to worship, you, you, you feel the Spirit uh, in worship, also in word, in communion. You feel it and you respond. And so I've grown, I, you know, I wasn't always like a hand raiser. But, uh, man, I've grown in like just kind of letting go and like, and I, I don't think it's the music. I mean, some of you feel this in, uh, in concerts. Uh, actually, let me give an invite. So I was talking to another brother. David Allen Coe, okay, anybody know David Allen Coe, okay, is playing Thursday night, I, I think I'm going to be there, okay, and I use that example, I use that example down at Martin's, by the way, I use that example because, man, we'll, we'll raise some hands, you know, in, in concerts or, and I actually find myself, I don't know why I do this, do like the Longhorn, you know that sometimes <laughs> here in worship, I don't know why, I just, I just go to that, but m- music moves you, and I do think there is that, there, you know, there's this spiritual force, and I just... I didn't plan on saying this, but just felt convicted. It's kind of an example, just there and feeling like I needed to say this. To just as a reminder, we all need to be reminded: coming here, real people meet the real Jesus, and you know, be free, be open, and that's good. So, that being said, take your Bibles uh, if you have them. If you don't, there's a Bible in the back, back table. You're welcome to get up. As we say, we're we're free and. Uh, Get that, and also take it home with you. We're in 1 Peter 4, so ter- towards the end of your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, we're in a series that will run up through Thanksgiving, uh, right before Advent, and we're calling the series, In, Not, Of, which is a phrase I've heard a lot in my, my Christian life, and some of you may have heard it too, uh, that we as Christians are to be very much in the world and yet not of it. 
And I've always heard it, received it, and thought of it more as a negative. As in like, you know, in the world there are things that you enjoy or desire or want to be part of. And we're very much in it, but we're not of it, so we can't partake. Um, And that, you know, immediately, and this passage talks about parties and partying. So you can immediately think about that. But also just, you know, things like uh, envy or uh, being in relationship with, uh, with someone maybe you're like, you shouldn't be in a relationship with, and you're like, man, I want to just, you know, I've always heard it negative. And what I'm trying to do in this series is turn that or flip that coin to help us and help me see it as a positive. Because if you're part of something bigger and greater, then you don't really mind. Like, if you know it's much better, it's a lot more good, not just for you, but like it's a good thing to be part of the kingdom of Christ uh, and to uh, live with a fervent inner joy, regardless of whether it's a blessed day or a rocky day or a depression day. Um, but you're part of something bigger and greater. Um, and that, honestly, that's, that's how I've, the Lord has moved me in seeing that. And that's how I hope you see it. Because if you, if you see it like that, then you have a different worldview. I mean, you see with a different set of lenses. So last week, we actually talked about marriage because uh, 1 Peter 3 is about marriage. And we talked about marriage also as connected to being single, uh, going through divorce. Um, so it wasn't just, you know, how to be married, but it's very, very much that. But also in relationship as singles and divorce. And if you missed, I mean, it's, it's on the podcast and everything. But, but it, this whole letter of Peter, and it's one of my favorite books or letters in the Bible, it's really saying, how do you live as a Christian? So in that of, how, how do we do this deal? How, how do we live? And today I want to talk about being a steward. Stewardship of all God has given us. Stewarding God's gift. So let's, let's read 1 Peter 4, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ suffered... In the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another, one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified, through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever 
and ever. Okay, talking today about being a steward, stewarding all that God has given us. Now, when I hear the word steward, and often when we say the word steward or stewardship, uh, we think of money, you know, stewardship plan, stewardship sermon series, you know, it's tied to stewarding our financial resources. When Peter wrote this, and he uses the word steward at the end of this passage, so when Peter wrote this, the word steward uh, meant a lot more. Uh, If you were a steward, you were essentially a slave. Uh, You had a master and a lord, and everything was in or under obedience to that master and lord. And that's how I want us to look at this as steward, uh, because that is really the, the whole deal of living in, but not of the world, is that you know your life is not your own. And that is a, a radical concept. Uh, many of us have not or do not believe that. And, and we'll say, you know, go to church and, you know, do the deal. But really, you know, brother or sister or preacher, this is my life. And I can live it as I want to live it. Christianity says that is not true if you're a Christian. Like, what do you mean? If you're a Christian, your life is not your own. Your life was bought and paid for with a price that is that cross right there by Jesus. That's what we mean when he saved us. He purchased you if you're a Christian. Uh, If you're not a Christian, then we want to preach that because often we can think of, well... So, okay, I'll obey Christ, but as I said at the beginning, we think of it as a negative. But when you recognize the gospel of the indwelling sin, I mean, the greatest problems of church, families, home, society, is not external, it is internal in every human heart. That is sin. Many call it the stain that we can't wipe out. Uh, The stain of said this before, you know, me first, a me first life instead of a God first life. And so the in not of, uh, the uh, biblical Christian worldview, uh, the gospel across is like, your life is not your own. Uh, it, was, it was bought. It was paid for. There was a price. I mean, Jesus, he did die for you. And if you believe that, then it can change everything, that you do walk in freedom and joy and peace, uh, knowing that uh, we get what we don't deserve and we've been saved from what we do deserve. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not sorry, but, but, I, but I am sorry. I mean, that is, that is the, the gospel truth right there. Now, that changes how you look at things, and it also changes how we take everything in our life, and try to put it under the obedience of Christ, which is tough. So here, Peter mentions four things that we can steward. When I say put them under obedience of Christ, steward this. Like, how do I use this? What is God doing in this situation that I can obey God 
and live for him. And the four things he mentioned, one is suffering. It's a big, big, big deal. We're not going to focus all of our time on suffering. Actually, next Sunday is going to be all about suffering. But he does mention suffering here because Christians suffer. Then he mentions prayer. He mentions love. He mentions hospitality. And then at the end, he goes into gifts. He actually mentions five, but anyway, suffering is, he, he begins with suffering. And I want to I start with that too. Suffering. Suffering. Unfortunately, all of us suffer. Some of us right now, suffering through some football seasons. Get an amen there? I mean, if nothing else. I mean, suffer through some football seasons. Uh, regardless of your, some of us are not, bull over there, okay? You know, we got some Alabama brothers this year. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's painful. Uh, I think, I mean, some of you may not, this may not apply to everybody, but regardless of where you fall politically, and I'm not going to get into this, but kind of suffered through a long political season here, you know? And then it's, you know, that can be external. Then there's internal. I mean, we, we deal with a lot of suffering in our, in our church. And not just me, all of us. I mean, we got cancer. Uh, we got physical pain that is, seems never-ending for brothers and sisters. Uh, we got multiple marriages. You know, we got singles who are, you know, wondering, like, you know, where's my life going? What's, what's going on? We got, we got people, you know, been in bankruptcy, financial. I mean, we, we got some suffering here. We got kids dealing with peer pressure, not to mention alcohol and drugs. We got some suffering here. So what do you, what's the gospel say to that? You're like, come on, preacher. I mean, you just said, you know, your life's not your own, and I'm suffering, so how, how do I mend that? Is it going to stop? I don't know. I don't know. Because here's what the word also says about suffering. First, Jesus says we're going to suffer. Put a passage up on the screen, John 15, 20, 21. Not my words, Jesus. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Jesus talking about us, we're his servants, he's the master, remember, as a steward. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So we can very much suffer as Christians. Now, I, I truly believe, and I've said this uh, in a way, uh, the Lord convicted me of it a, a while back, and say that there are no accidents in Christianity, uh, and, I, and I love that, that idea, that, that sentence. So your suffering is not in a void. Our suffering is not without purpose. Uh, and the, the verse that I connect to that phrase is Romans 8, 28. I'm going to put that up on the screen. One of my favorite verses. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, not everything we see in the here and now, we will one day see it if we are Christians and we will see the full why and how things you know, were lined up and orchestrated. And we don't, sometimes we are blessed to see that here, but, but not always. So we will have suffering, but as a Christian, and that verse is key, if you're a Christian, that's why I say there are no accidents in Christianity. Uh, your suffering will have a purpose. You know, I've been very open, and I will continue to be about, uh, you know, I, um, I said this last week about marriage. Uh, we, we go to counseling. I actually recommend, you know, like 
trained professional counselors to everybody, every, every Christian. And we go, or we go every so often. And one time my, my counselor said, because like I'm, I've gone through suffering, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm going through suffering now. I'm going through, day, we go through suffering every day, but going through a suffering. And the counselor said, you know, what if it's the grace of God that gives you this suffering uh, to both protect you and point you in a different direction? And that, um, that made sense to me, and I share that with y'all, that what if your suffering is, in fact, the grace of God, the gift of God, to protect you from something else, to point you in a direction that you're not going. Maybe it's just to point you to Jesus. So I really believe that the suffering uh, is a gift. I was actually talking to another brother who does live in uh, severe, consistent, chronic pain, physical pain. And he said it. He said, my pain is, if not God's greatest, one of God's greatest gifts in my life. Because I can relate, I can empathize, and I thank God for chronic pain. Uh, it really touched me when he said it. So, so in this passage, Peter's talking about suffering. And these Christian brothers and sisters were suffering big time. And I don't want to go into graphic details, but they were getting killed in not good ways. Okay? And so he's saying, in your suffering, arm yourself, verse 1, with the same way of thinking. That word thinking, verse 1, literally could be translated attitude. Have the same attitude as Christ. And then he says, verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for passions, but for the will of God. The will of God. Often our suffering forces us to do two things. Turn from sin. Uh, if, if we're lucky, if we're fortunate. Often in the suffering, folks don't want to turn from the sin. But more, more than that, turn to Jesus. Turn from sin, turn to Jesus. Now, we will all stumble. You know, there's not, you know, it's a, it's a roller coaster. We do, we stumble. But turn from sin, turn to Jesus. You know, he continues. And this is one of the big, a lot of y'all deal with this. I've dealt with this before. Because uh, he goes into specific suffering of, of condemnation, being maligned for being a Christian, as these brothers and sisters, you know, the Romans like to party, okay? I mean, they like to throw down. I mean, who says the Bible's not interesting? I mean, he throws orgies into this passage. Did you pick that up? You know, who says it's not interesting? Drinking parties, very clear. Lawless idolatries, passions, drunkenness. The Romans were partiers. And so these brothers and sisters were really having to live in and not of it. And they were being maligned. And so for, you know, some of us, it is... It is changing a way of, of life, of lifestyle. Now, let me, let me say this, uh, this caveat, because this, um, this ministered to me a while back. You know, I, I like to, uh, I, I'm a big believer in going out, big heart for evangelism, John 10, 16, there are others. I mean, I, there's a part of me that, I mean, I want to just, you know, roost in the nest of sinners, you know, and just be there because they need Christ, and I'm very convicted. Uh, my wife can tell you this. We, t- we have this heart for unbelievers, I know that's a cliche, but like people who really wrestle with Christianity, with, uh, I mean, just with the skid row, fringes, you know, people with big time explicit addictions or hidden addictions. I mean, I, it's kind of crazy. I like that stuff, okay? I mean, I like being around it. So sometimes I've wrestled with like, okay, so make, like, make, well, should I go to this party or not? 
And I read a, an article by a guy like, like John Piper, and he talked about this very thing. And he said, you know, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, which we're going through in the equip study at the White House, I mean, he says, he says, don't separate from the world. Uh, he says, you know, I want you to be out there in the world. But here's the deal. Where is, this is what John Piper said, where is the trajectory of the influence going? Put it this way. So, see my two hands, fist. So you're at a party, okay? You go to a party, and, and you know, there's drinking and all sorts of stuff, just like, just like it's in the Bible here, okay? So I'm not making a stretch here. And say my, my left fist is, is you, and here is, I'm not going to call them non-Christians, I mean, I don't know, but, you know, people like really engaging, you know, as I do the fist, you know what I'm talking about, really living it up, you know what I'm saying? So is the trajectory, and this is for youth, adults, is the trajectory of the influence going this way? Like, is that person, you know, the head and the influencer? Or is it like this? Sorry, I switched my Bible here. Is it like this? Or you're there, but you are the influencer. It's like this. Man, that really changed the way that, you know, I, I saw. It really helped me. And, you know, and I've asked, me, well, am I being influenced or am I the influencer? So I just thought that was a great way of thinking through this passage. Because we want to. We want to witness. We want to be, you know, all these Sunday school, light of Christ, all that. We want to go. But how do we do that? Think about it. Where is the trajectory of the influence going? It's a good question. Uh, then, and I've got, to, I've got to highlight this, verse 6, because a lot of people have asked about this, though, who, those who read the Bible. It said, even to those who are dead, the gospel is preached, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God is. Always get asked on this question, like, did that mean Jesus, like, go to... The underworld, or what they call Sheol, or, or hell, did he preach there? That's like, no. Or how do you know no? Because nowhere else in the Bible does it say that. That's not along the lines of biblical Christianity. What most people smarter than me, they tie this to Ephesians 2.1. Anybody know that verse? Anybody besides Neil? Neil, throw it out. Ephesians 2.1, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. You're not, you're not sinking, you, you're, you're drowned. You're not like sinking and Jesus throws the lifers out. You're no oxygen, you're dead. So that's what he's saying, you know, that we are, without Christ, dead in our sins. The gospel's preached to us so that we may live, have life in the Spirit. I want to be very clear on that verse. So with suffering, last thing on this, one other verse. Because going back to verse 1, and two, have a different attitude and let it be for the will of God. So we can go, if we suffer, we can know our Lord suffered a lot worse, a lot more. Matthew 26, 39. In the, in the pit, in the agony of his suffering, Jesus says, going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Uh, we forget that. You know, we think of his suffering on the cross. Actually, many people, uh, I've taught my brother, Jack Morarty, about this, uh, that the, the most extreme point of Jesus' suffering was there in the garden. And when it was put before Jesus, what he was going to have to go through, the, the anguish, not the, the physical pain, the anguish 
of looking into, and many biblical scholars call it the furnace, that he was walking in the furnace, of all human sin taking it on. You know, bought with a price, died for you. He said, not my will, but yours. So if we are to move through suffering, then Peter brings us to some things that can help both in the suffering, but also in our life as a, as a community, as a church. So he's talking about prayer, love, hospitality, and gifts. I'm going to go through these real quick. First off, prayer. He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Uh, that can be translated of clear mind. Like when you, if you pray, and I would probably guesstimate that a lot of our prayer lives are fairly weak, okay, from those I've talked to. But are you clear-minded? Pushing everything aside. Clear-minded, focused for the sake of your prayers. Uh, Prayer, let me say this real quick. Prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. And if you're not clear-minded, you're not going to receive from the Lord. You're not going to hear what He has to say. Prayer, again, it's not a monologue where we're just talking. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation that we're having with the Lord to hear Him speak. Uh, There's a, a great evangelist, early 20th century, named D.L. Moody, and he said this, I love this quote. He said, I lay all my petitions, which are requests, before the Lord, and then I say, as we just saw in that verse, not my will, but your will. And then he said, the greatest lesson I've ever learned from the school of God is to allow Him to choose for me. But for that to happen, we've got to clear our minds, we've got to listen, but we do lay our petitions and requests before the Lord, as He said. And pray for one another, and pray for our needs, pray for our suffering. But that's a, that's a big thing. And often we're just laying it down, but we're not listening, and we're not responding. Uh, then he goes into, Peter goes into love here. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love one another Earnestly. That word earnest, I love that word earnest, but it literally means at full strength. So see, often our love can kind of increase, decrease, it fluctuates, it's like a roller coaster. Um, but here he's saying, keep your love at full strength. I would say this, how many of our, our problems at home, uh, in a church, in this church, in any church, uh, in our lives, could be solved if we just kept our love at full strength. Keep your love at full strength. Keep loving one another earnestly. And you're like, well, how is that? Well, and then it just says, it covers a multitude of sins. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Preachers are sinners too. Preachers and teachers. That's not using that as a, as a means to repent. It's just like, we're all sinners. We all have this sin in our heart. So how do we, how do we surpass that? Peter just gave us an answer. How many of our problems in our homes, so with y'all that are married, spouses, because I know there's some conflict here, uh, in our churches or in this church, how many could be resolved? Just love at full strength. It covers a multitude of sins. How do you live in and out of this world? You're going through suffering, Peter talked about. Prayer, 
love. Love. It's simple yet biblical. And then love in a practical way is opening your home to others. Hospitality, it's called. Show hospitality, it says, without grumbling. I like that he adds that. Because often as Christians uh, in the church, we're like, well, I got to do this. You know, um, you know I got to greet. I got to greet when people come into church. I mean, I got to welcome. You know, pastor says greet one another. Say, you know, I got you know, to do this. Got to stand up. Uh, you know, I got to gotta love my neighbor. You know, got to reach out to different people. You know, got to practice John 10, 16. Got to open up my home for small group. Gotta, you know, it says without grumbling. And, and a lot of you, let me say this, a lot of you, and love you for it, don't grumble at all. I mean, it's, it's in you. But some of us, and me too, sometimes I'm like, man, I got to. Hospitality is love lived out in a very practical way. And a lot of you, again, have this, this very true uh, gift. And it's, it's awesome. Uh, I believe God has gifted our church with a gift of hospitality. So a lot of our, I see it, and not just the people who are like the formal greeters, but y'all. And so, um, you know, we have that. But we have to be reminded, and there there's some of us that, that need reminded over and over again that this is love played out in a very practical way. And so, you know, I do want our, when we say love your neighbor, love the other person, you know, arms wide open here in these church doors, but also in our homes. One thing my wife and I have tried to be intentional about the last two plus years is open our homes to others. A lot of folks who don't go to this church, a lot of students I teach, uh, a lot of folks, especially coming up on the holidays at Christmas, you know, there are people who don't have anywhere to go. Uh, We try to throw the best parties. I mean, not us, but I mean, I know some folks here throw some good parties, open up their homes. I mean, that's, that goes a long way, that gift of hospitality. And, and then last, he talks about specific practical gifts. So when, I, when we also often think about stewardship, we're thinking, you know, a, a gift that God has, has given. And I want you to see a gift as suffering. I want you to see a gift as prayer. I want you to see a gift as loving earnest. I want you to see a gift of opening our doors. But then there are gifts that you have, each of you. And he ends this with like these these lived out gifts in people. And let me be clear about this. There are natural gifts that you have, okay? Like, I wish I could hit a ball out of Fenway Park. Anybody know where Fenway Park is? Because I'd love to crush the Red Sox one day. You know, Fenway Park. I can't, I'm not going to be able to ever... Nor have I been ever been able to hit a ball out of Fenway Park. That's, that's not the gift that God has given me. So these gifts can be uh, physical. Uh, these gifts can be, you know, of the mind. They can be of the heart. But let me clarify. That could be a natural gift that God, your creator, as we started the service out, gave you. These gifts are different. They're supernatural. And you're like, well, where else in the Bible, or where does the Bible say supernatural gifts? Write this down if you want to know more, okay? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Ephesians 4, and this passage right here. Both Paul and Peter are talking about supernatural gifts that are, I believe, fused together with their natural gifts, but often, one, if you're not walking with Christ, if you're not a Christian, you're not going to have these supernatural gifts. And often, as a Christian, those supernatural gifts are laying dormant you know, dormant means to sleep or sleeping. Because you're not, like, claiming Christ. You're not living for Him. You're not, you know, you're just, you're just not growing. Maybe the devil just has continued to hit you and, and knock you down. And, 
Maybe, you know, I mean, thank God you're here if that's the case because we need the church. You know, maybe you're not being encouraged. I mean, I pray that we can encourage you. I mean, I, I pray that we're all encouraged, that we can raise people up. But I know people here today that the spiritual gifting is sleeping. And something has to happen to wake it up. Now, I can't do that. Uh, any worship team can't do it. Any friend can't do it. The Holy Spirit can. And come in before Him. Uh, I, I love saying, I've said this before, I'm going to keep saying it more and more. People ask, well, how many ministers you got at church at Bellwether? You know, what, you know I mean, everybody, you know, what's the size of your church? You know, all that. You know, I mean, y'all know the, the drill. But how many ministers you got in your church? I like to say, we got about 300 members. I'm like, we got 300 ministers in our church. We've got 300, around, give or take. I believe that. I believe everybody's called to minister. And the reason the New Testament churches talk so much about gifts, about the why and the purpose of gifts, is that we're to minister to one another. You, know, you to you, here to there. That, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the church God wants. That's the church I want to pastor is that everyone is a minister. That's why, by the way, if you are a member, that we take the church covenant so seriously. Why do we want to know that you're a Christian? And I can't see the heart, but we line out biblical doctrines and the gospel there. We ask people to sign it. I mean, it's not anything legal. Don't worry about that. I mean, yeah. I mean, some of you are like, I don't want to sign it, but okay, I get that. But I think there's more weight when you put your name to something. And so a covenant saying, hey, we've done everything we can to know that a member is a Christian. And if you're a Christian, then you have a gift. And it's a supernatural gift. And we don't want it to be dormant. We want it to be used. So Peter here, he spells out two general gifts. One of the voice, one of the hands. Speaking and serving. Because some of us have the gift of speaking. And that doesn't mean you've got to preach or teach. But like you, you, can, you can say a, a right word or an apt word. You can minister to someone through your voice. Some, God's given you some, some of y'all that, that gift. And he says, when you speak, speak as oracles of God. That could be literally translated as like God is speaking. So there's a weight there. And many of us just blow that right out of the water, you know, with, the, with this little thing called gossip, or what the Bible calls double tongue. That's why actually the Bible mentions that so much. So I would say, you know, your natural gift of voice fused with the Holy Spirit, you mean you can speak. And look, some of you are called to teach and preach. But that's one big gift. And then the other is serving of the hands. And we got a lot of brothers and sisters who are like, man, they just want to serve. And that's a great way they can minister and the Holy Spirit ministers to them. And it's such a blessing. But often, just want to put it, often it's like hard to serve. Man, we're, we're pulled in so many directions. Y'all are thinking, oh, all right, When's he going to stop? I got lunch, 1140. I mean, I know, I mean, I, th- I think that too, you know, going, you know, we're pulling so many directions, kids' activities, sports, football, I mean, social. Um, is, it, is mistletoe coming up this week? Is that it? It is, yeah, I mean, mistletoe, you know, like all that. You, you got the stuff. And so, like, man, I got to serve my church. Or I got to serve somebody in it. Come on, you know. I think Peter gets this to the church. I mean, I get this. That's why I'm so thankful when people serve. 
But it says, serve by the strength that God supplies. And I think when we live in, not of, when we, as I began, see it as a positive, there's something bigger. You know, that this is a community. Everybody's a sinner, real people, but there's a real Jesus here. This is not just an organization. This is not just a structure building. You know, we want to be knitted together to minister together. And for me, you know, if I see this grander purpose, then it does fire me up more to, to do what I do in, in the serving in the ministry. But I just want to close with this. Because I could say all that. Why should you do all this? Live in, not of. Why should you suffer well? Why should you pray? Why should you love? Why should you open a home? Why should you like really pray about, hey, I want to have a good spirit when I come to church and literally greet folks? Why should you think about a supernatural gift? How does that happen? You know, why, how? They are both bound together in a who. In a who. Jesus Christ. Put one more verse up on the screen. Close this verse. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that's, by the way, Christians who we love or not known and have died, and so angels surrounding this place, which, by the way, I believe is not an opinion, it's what the Bible says, a cloud of witnesses surrounds us and surrounds you. Let us lay aside every weight, because they're burdens, and sin, which clings so closely, and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, as He created you, and perfecter of our faith, who for, and I love this, the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, most shameful death imagined, and to see at the right hand of the throne of God. Why should you do these things? Why should you live in not of? How do you do these things? Jesus suffered. He suffered for you. He suffered, bled, died for you. Jesus prays for you. He prays for for me right now. The Holy Spirit, Paul talks about, prays. Even we don't know what to pray for. The Holy Spirit and Jesus united. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead prays for you right now. Jesus loves you. Your creator and the creator of all that is, this beautiful day, this beautiful... He loves you. His arms are wide open. He says, come home. We talk about hospitality. Come home, lost sheep. Come back to me. And he's given you great gifts. And I'm not just talking about singing, because some of us can't sing. And I'm not just talking about hitting a ball out of a ballpark because some of us can't do that. We wish, you know, I'd love to choose the gifts. But anyway, can't choose the gifts, but God knows the gifts. And those gifts are tied to a purpose. And you're like, well, I don't know where my purpose is in life. Well, then let's get, let's get the focus off the self and look to somebody else. And the only reason we should be looking in a mirror is seeing in our heart our need for grace. We look in the mirror that way see what Jesus has done for us, and everything else, look to somebody else and serve them. And the Lord will start opening up doors and opportunities and blessings and fulfillment. But the why and the how, it's in a who, Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, let us know that. Convict us by your Holy Spirit. 
Uh, change us where we need to be changed. Grow us where we need to grow. Thank you for your power and presence. In your name, amen.